1: Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? To sign up for both of those newsletters, go to miningstocks.com. I should like to remind you that the best place to go to to access this radio show, is, a matter of fact, the only place to go to to access the second hour of this show this afternoon is Jay Taylor Media. That's J-A-Y-T. TaylorMedia.com. The second hour of this show can be accessed immediately at 4 o'clock p.m. New York time. That's as soon as the uh, first hour is concluded at Voice America. I do want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America business channel. I also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are Nanostruck Technologies, Brazil Resources, and Metanor Resources. And I also want to welcome Caden Resources as a new sponsor today to this show. Caden is a company that I just recently recommended. In my own newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. It is a well-funded junior gold mining exploration company with some very exciting gold properties in Mexico. The company's CEO, Ivan Bebek, will be joining me next week to talk about his company's prospects. Caden is selling at around a dollar and a half, 41.6 million shares outstanding, giving it a market cap of a little over 65 million dollars. Well, let's get to today's show. We have an awful lot to talk about. I've titled today's show "The Greatest Gold Deposit for the Greatest Gold Bull Market." I believe we are in the greatest secular gold bull market of my lifetime and perhaps in the history of humankind. And so we want to find the best gold mining stocks possible to take full advantage of this bull market. I believe we are in the greatest bull market in history because never before in the history of man has there been such wholesale destruction of national currencies, thanks to the pernicious and destructive Keynesian economic theories that policymakers are living by. So far, most people in the Western world have been brainwashed into believing the propaganda from the Federal Reserve Bank and our government. In China and other countries, where they know their politicians are liars, they are not so easily conned into believing the propaganda. in those countries know their politicians will destroy their currencies, so they are buying gold. And that is why there is a massive move of physical bullion from the West to the East, even as bullion banks continue to try to manipulate the price of gold lower with massive fiat paper short sales that mislead citizens of the Western world by engineering fictitiously low prices in the futures markets. That's really to disguise the real demand for gold that's coming from the East. But today, Alistair McLeod will be with me in approximately a half an hour to tell us why this game. game is nearing an end, and why the gold price is going to explode to thousands of dollars per ounce. Whether we have seen the lows in this cyclical bear market yet, I do not know. Technical analysts that I follow tend to think we have not. Those who are more of a fundamental camp seem to think that we have seen the lows in gold. I'm really not sure about the timing, but I am very sure that the cyclical bear market for gold within the longer-term secular bull market is just about over, and by the mid-year or so of this year, we should start to see a very dramatic rise in the price of gold. And now that it looks as if the gold shares will be leading the bullion higher, the big question in my mind for subscribers to this newsletter is where can I find the best possible gold mining stocks to own? My desire to find answers to that question takes me to other guests today, starting with Amir Adnani, the CEO of Brazil Resources. That's a company that I that quietly has accumulated over four million ounces of gold in Brazil over the last year or so. Amir will be with me in just a couple of minutes as soon as we take our first commercial break. Then in the second hour at J. Taylor. Media.com, Eric Coffin will talk about a couple of his favorite stocks, which happen to be mine as well. And at the start of the second hour at J Taylor Media, I will be talking to Quinton Henning. He's the CEO of a company that I am personally most excited about, and that is Novo Resources. Why am I so excited about Novo Resources? Well, simply put, it's because Quinton Henning, who is considered to be one of the smartest economic geologists in the world, is testing his geological theory that he may be on to another Whitwater's Ran type gold deposit. That one being in Australia. For those of you who may not be familiar with Witwatersrand, it is the mine in South Africa from which more than half of the gold ever mined on the face of the earth has come from. And the thing that makes Novo so exciting is that exploration work so far is suggesting Quinton's theories may be absolutely correct. That is not to say that he has found the next witwatersrand type deposit. Style does not equate necessarily to quantity of ounces, but so far the signs are all positive, which may be one reason Newmont mining owns 32% of Novo Resources. I hope you will join me at J. Taylor Media after 4 o'clock p.m. New York time today to listen to both Eric Coffin and Quentin Henning to learn more about what may be some of the best gold stocks to own in what I am convinced is the secular bull market of a lifetime. Don't go away. I'll be right back with Amira Adani. As the bull market in gold resumes, gold shares will explode to much higher levels, and those companies that are ramping up production will take off first. Metanor Resources, a symbol MTO in Canada and MEAOF in the U.S., is now in commercial production and producing over 4,500 ounces of gold per month from its bachelor mine in Quebec. With seven drills turning, I look for the company's gold resource to grow dramatically on both its bachelor and berry projects. I believe Metanor now offers major upside potential for savvy investors. From the boardroom to you,
0: Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to taylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, taylor, at gmail.com. Now, back to our program.
1: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Amir Adnani. He's the chairman and founder of Brazil Resources. Amir is recognized by a qualified resource industry investment advisory, KC Research, as one of the sector's leading entrepreneurs, and that's a list researched and known as the KC Next 10. Amir holds a bachelor's degree from the University of British Columbia. He is also a co-founder of Uranium Energy. Corp. That's a company that's listed on the New York Stock Exchange, Amex, uh, and it's a company that's done very well. One I've followed for a number of years as well. Uh, and, but today we really want to talk to Amir about Brazil Resources, which is a sponsor to this show. It's been a recommendation in my newsletter. I uh, personally own shares of Brazil Resources uh, because I've believed in the management as much as uh, what the management is doing. The management, uh, good management, will find good projects. Will make things work. And uh, and that's why we're talking to Amir Nanny because uh, I think as Casey Research has. Uh, discovered he is one of the top entrepreneurs in the resource sector brazil resources uh, traded in toronto under the symbol bri you can buy it in the united states as i have under the symbol BRIZF. 72.4 million shares outstanding fully diluted 86 million shares uh, and uh, the stock has traded as high as a dollar 50 in 2012 it's been uh, through this drought, through this very difficult bear market in uh, in the gold shares, has been as low as around 50 cents, I believe. But it's but it's bounced back uh, recently, trading closer to 75 cents. So a nice run in the first few uh, weeks of this new year. So we're really pleased to uh, to welcome uh, Amir Nanny. Thanks for joining me, Amir.
3: Jay, thank you for that introduction, and it's great to be back on uh, your
1: radio show. It's always good to talk to you. Uh, you, you always explain your story very well, and uh, it's, you're one of the easier people to interview, I must say, because
4: <laughs> I don't have
1: to do too much. I can just throw, a, you know, throw the ball up to the plate, and you smack it over the fence. You know, one of the things before we get started on some of the fundamentals of your story here, Amir, I noticed, I, I think I read somewhere that there's 11.6 million warrants outstanding. Are those going to be listed in trading, possibly?
3: Yeah, you know, we've uh, been working with the exchange to get those warrants listed.
4: Uh I
3: just felt uh, when we looked at this as management as well, you know, often companies uh, issue warrants as part of raising money, et cetera, and um, you never want warrants to become uh, really an overhang on the stock, and Mm -hmm. one good solution is to actually list them for trading, and uh, in fact, there aren't too many uh, listed uh, warrants on the TSX venture now, uh, especially for gold companies with... uh, a good resource base on the ground as our company has now. So we thought this could actually be an interesting way of, uh, you know, working with our shareholders to get even more exposure for their warrants or for the investors that uh, have those warrants. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that that is work in progress. We should have those uh, warrants listed and they'll be trading soon. I don't have a date yet, but, um, you know, we'll probably obviously have an announcement when it happens. And uh, that way, it also should not be really an overhang on the stock either, which is, which is good on both
1: fronts. Well, I can tell you, as an investor in uh, Canadian mining shares, to have the ability to buy shares and trade them on the secondary market, and, and as opposed to having to go out there and exercise those things and go through the paperwork at the end of the game, would certainly be uh, would certainly be a, a big positive in my th- in my mind. Uh, Amir, can you tell me how much money would that raise for the company these these warrants if they're exercised?
3: Oh, uh, if they're exercised, it would bring another uh, $7.5 million into the company.
1: And how much do you have now? Uh, what's the coffers look like we had, right now? So, so basically, as of our
3: last reported financials, uh, they were, there was $1.5 million in cash uh, on the balance sheet. But subsequent to that, we ended up raising $6.4 million in December. And so $1.5 million cash on the balance sheet, uh, and then plus another $6.4 million raised. So uh, you know today uh, the numbers the number would be probably closer to about uh, six million dollars but um, you know given given where the sector is right now, uh, we feel that's a very adequate balance sheet to see us uh, go through the next year and a half and meet milestones without needing to come back to the market. Uh, and have any financing pressures
1: on the company? Oh, it's very, very important. I think one of the most uh, one of the things you bring to the companies that you're involved with is a good financing structure. And speaking of that, you have attracted some some very good uh, people uh, on the financing side. And your strategic partner, uh, Brazil Invest Group. Tell our listeners those that might not be familiar with your story. Who is Brazil Invest Group?
3: So Brazil Invest Group is the. Oldest and and the first merchant bank to open up in Brazil in 1975. And since 1975, they've um, invested uh, over $16 billion in various Brazilian-related industries, ranging from ethanol to automotive industry to natural resources. Um, They're one of the exclusive advisors, for example, to uh, Petrobras. They have um, been involved with very high-profile mandates in the country. Uh, And the first ever gold-related venture that they've become involved with is our company, Brazil Resources. And their involvement is meaningful in that uh, they are equity investors. They're completely aligned with other shareholders. They own just under 10% of the company. They've participated in our financings, including the last round that we completed in December. But in addition to that, the chairman and founder of Brazil Invest, uh, a gentleman named Mario Garnero, who has been a very successful uh, entrepreneur in Brazil as an advisor to uh, the Brazilian president. Dilma Rousseff has been an advisor to Brazilian presidents for decades. He also sits on our board of directors. Um, Jerry, i like to really regard Brazil Invest as one of the founding shareholders of this company. Mm-hmm. They've been there from day one. And I honestly don't know if too many other junior gold companies uh, that have this type of financial partner uh, in the local jurisdiction that they're developing gold assets. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think that's, all, that's been the issue for so many companies in our sector. You know, as you go to develop a project, you need that local sponsorship. You need it in order to develop uh, the correct uh, governmental relations, to develop your stakeholder relations. But when you consider a country uh, as rich as Brazil... Having a local partner like this means that you get access to the local capital markets. There's a tremendous amount of capital available in Brazil now, debt financing, project financing, equity investors, uh, and who better than uh, the oldest merchant bank in that country to navigate those waters for us. And so I think having Brazil Investment involved as a strategic partner from day one has really been uh, a key competitive advantage of our company, and we've leveraged that in order to identify acquisition opportunities and make deals happen and get to the point that we are now.
1: Yeah, no question about it. And uh, kudos to you, Amir, because I, I think that, uh, you know, you were a main reason why you were able to attract Brazil Invest. I think one of the things, and I'll just tell my listeners this, having known you for a number of years... Uh, I think, you know, it takes a special kind of a person to run a company because you have various egos involved. You have people that, uh, in many of these smaller companies, the guys want to do everything themselves. And one of the things I've always admired about Amir Adnani is that he recognizes what he is good at and what he's not good at. And he attracts, he has the ability to get along with people and attract top talent. You did that at Uranium uh, Energy and you're doing it at Brazil invest as well. And part of that, of course, and a very important part of that is laying down relationships with people uh, who can uh, pave the way and and open up new doors to make things happen. So I, I think that's very important. The Brazil Invest Group, to me, in my thinking, has been one of the most important aspects of your company as well. You know, it, you've listed your your company's strategy uh, to acquire portfolios, of uh, a portfolio of advanced stage gold projects, and especially... Uh, at this point in time when the market has gotten so, you know, the juniors have gotten so unmercifully uh, hurt very, very badly. You're also looking at the viability of, of projects that don't depend on higher gold prices, and you're looking also at projects with relatively low capital uh, requirements to get started. So uh, I'd like to talk to you about some of the projects that you have now, and I, I don't know if this would be the order, but the, the saint George project probably is is your leading project, would you say?
3: Uh, correct. So, uh, following our acquisition of uh, Brazilian Gold Corp., the company we acquired at the end of last year, mm-hmm. uh, Sao Jorge now becomes the company's most advanced uh, property. And this is primarily because of the fact that Sao Jorge's uh, uh, preliminary economic assessment was completed on Sao Jorge uh, April of last year, fairly recent numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Um, Jay, at $1,200 gold, uh, the project uh, is very robust, and to be robust, that $1,200 gold with over 30% of uh, IRR and over 200 million of net present value, um, you know, this is a project that really now anchors our ability to say that we have uh, the type of portfolio that uh, can move forward, and even if you consider uh, lower or uh, softer gold prices we're going to be able to advance and transition into becoming uh, really a near-term producer and eventually a producer over the next few years. Uh, so it's, it's really, I think, gratifying And from a value point of view for our investors. It was really key to bring this type of asset into the mix, um, and uh, with Sajor, we have that now.
1: Yeah, indeed, you've got uh, you've got an indicated resource of seven hundred fifteen thousand ounces grading one point five four grams per ton, and you've got another million thirty five thousand uh, inferred that's grading one point one four grams per ton. Is this a, is this a, an open pit target? I I assume, Amir.
3: Yeah, correct. So this would be an open pit project. Um, I would argue that it's probably uh, one of the more advanced open pit projects available in Brazil right now for gold. Uh, the overall, uh, resources were established, uh, over an area, uh, you know, strike of, uh, and a length of about 1.4 kilometers. Mm-hmm. But, uh, just adjacent to that, there was an additional two and a half kilometer IP anomaly
4: mm. that gives
3: us, uh, the view that there's, uh, also very strong upside available with this project. Uh, you know, a good amount of drilling has been done here historically close to 40,000 meters. Um, but uh, what 's nice uh, Jay, is that uh, you know with the land package being about fifty five thousand hectares, uh, only ninety percent you know i'm on, sorry on the ten percent of the project has been explored, ninety percent is still you know unexplored mm. so I just love the fact that this is this is an asset, a project that uh, on ten percent of the property we have um, over two hundred million of net present value for uh, using 1200 dollars gold, plenty of drilling. But enough work has been done from an exploration point of view that, that shows we've got that additional upside on the rest of the land package. There are no social or economic issues or environmental issues. Really clean project from that perspective, so you, you should have a very predictable permitting to uh, a full production on the project. Uh, and the, the predecessor company, the company we acquired, Brazilian Gold, really did a great job in spending money in the ground to advance the asset. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, with the difficulties in the market last year, just wasn't able to get the right market value. But Jay, that is where I, I really feel this strategy of looking at acquisition opportunities makes so much sense. I mean, here for us to have been able to acquire an asset this advanced um, uh, for um, uh, you know, and it came with multiple assets. I and mean, Brazilian Goldcorp wasn't a single asset company. Mm-hmm. But for us to make an acquisition with this much work done on it. It just goes to show you that uh, you can create a lot of shareholder value by focusing uh, on making things happen right now Uh, and uh, and not really being scared of these difficult markets. These difficult markets, in my mind, are the best time to grow and the best time to make acquisitions.
1: Well, there's no doubt about that, and of course, uh, that is possible by somebody with the foresight and the funding capabilities to make it happen. I think that's not a... Uh, not a very difficult concept to understand, Amir, but being able to put it into effect is something else, and you've been able to do that. Let me ask you, you say that you have a $200 million uh, value there, Um, so you've done some economics on this. Well,
4: the
3: economics uh, were done uh, by Coffee Mining, the engineering firm, April of last year, Mm -hmm. and uh, it was in the context of a preliminary economic assessment. And so that's, uh, that's what I'm referring to when talking about these numbers.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And, um, you know, since that report came out in April of last year, we've actually seen um, uh, overall mining costs in Brazil come down due to layoffs and project shutting down, etc. Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. So
3: a lot of the cost assumptions, if you were to update uh, this economic assessment today, would be lower.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, and the Brazilian real, in fact, has come down versus the dollar, so you also would have uh, some of those uh, benefits realized. Mm-hmm. So overall, mm-hmm. if you were to update the economics on this project today, you'd probably see numbers, uh, you know, even stronger uh, than some of the numbers that I just mentioned that uh, came out April of last year.
4: Yeah. And this
3: is uh, this is what's so encouraging about it, and that's where we're also starting to get some uh, additional. Uh, Analyst uh, coverage and attention. I mean, you were uh, incredibly early to uh, recognizing and realizing what we're up to, and uh, starting coverage on us uh, almost a year and a half ago, or even you know around the time we IPO'd. But
4: mm-hmm.
3: now, just over the last month, uh, we've had a number of new analysts uh, additionally pick up coverage on the company, and everyone that I speak to sort of says the same thing. That says Mir, you know, with BRI, the assets that you now have in the in the company. Uh, are diverse a, there's a pipeline uh, you're not a single asset company anymore but you know, in the right jurisdiction with low capex robust economics at today's gold price uh, and, and, and a nice diversified portfolio and all of it acquired at very reasonable prices you know, due to when we went shopping
4: so yeah. <laughs>
3: um, I, I think it's starting to really crystallize in people's minds Jay that um, the execution track record that we're demonstrating at BRI does definitely follow what we demonstrated at UEC. At UEC, we went from concept to production in five years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and at BRI, we're now starting to get that kind of recognition that, hey, the same execution um, capacity is, is also at BRI and, and management showing that they can carry it out.
1: Yeah. Well, indeed, I mean, you've got a market cap, if my um, back-of-the-envelope uh, calculations are correct, of around... Roughly fifty million dollars, which is a fourth of the uh, of the present value of the project. You're looking at Sound George with only ten percent of that uh, of that property explored, and uh, so a million and three quarter ounces. If you add both categories together, I know you're not supposed to do that for the regulator's purpose, but nonetheless, uh, uh, it it looks very very promising. But that's just one of several projects. That probably your most advanced one. Uh, but we have a few minutes left yet uh, to talk about the others. Uh, Kosahera, Kosahera, I guess project is one that. You had before, and and that's not a small fry either. I mean, you got 786,737 ounces in the indicated resource, 1.4 grams per ton, and 563,200 ounces grading 1.12 grams per ton. Also, over a million ounces there if you add both categories together. Talk to us a little bit about the Kashahera.
3: You know, it's such an interesting project, Jay, because when you look at the, I love looking at the history of these things, like. In the case of Cachoeira, you have a project that historically was actually three separate projects. And you had companies like uh, Vale, CVRD, the, you know, the big Brazilian mm-hmm. giant, uh, Noranda, Goldfields. You had some really notable names involved in the various parts of Cachoeira. And over the last 25, 30 years, this really was uh, you know three different areas, three different deposits. Today, it's all been consolidated, I mean, and we've come into it now controlling all three areas. It's now all encompassed under basically one project uh, with multiple zones, uh, a highway that runs uh, right in between uh, you know, the, 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 the zones furthest to the south and then the two right above it. So great access and infrastructure. Already the ability to show that... Uh, with uh, the indicated and inferred ounces, uh, you know, all added up, you're looking at about 1.4 million ounces,
4: mm-hmm. uh,
3: and, and, you know, at surface, open pit mining, so a lot of good characteristics and profile that you'd want to see, uh, and it's a, it's a project that, uh, you know, again, when you look at the amount of drilling that has been done, close to, you know, 32,000 meters has been done historically. It um, it's got a great foundation for, for us to work from. So the goal here would be to complete a preliminary economic assessment. And by doing that, we can show um, uh, the, the kind of net present value the project can hold, uh, de-risk it from that perspective. We also have done quite a bit of permitting work and some applications that have been submitted this uh, uh, this month to support the next phase of permitting. And so it's, uh, it's a project that will move forward on, on a couple of parallel tracks, advance the permitting, initiate a preliminary economic assessment and also look for uh, connecting some dots. When you when you consider uh, possibilities of, uh, uh, through additional drilling, being able to find resources between an area where we have a resource and then uh, uh, surface anomalies and other work done four kilometers to the north that shows the same type of characteristics, mm. you can connect the dots and say, well, geez, look, the upside is really there where mm-hmm. through some additional drilling, you're bound to find potentially additional mineralization and increase the resource. So, we got a project that has a great history, great amount of historical work that has been done. Uh, all of that is now combined, and we you know we have it under one banner in our company. And through these multiple uh, tracks, we'll be advancing the economics, the the permitting, and, and the resource expansion of the asset. Uh, so that's the plan, and that you know the the goals at Cashuera. But you can see, again, you know, at, at São George, you have uh, its own sort of set of unique profile and opportunities. Cachoeira has its own potential. But all of these uh, these projects, uh, Jay, at this point, are all in one state within Brazil, within para-state. Very
4: so we're important. Not, yeah. We're, yeah, yeah.
3: we're not spread thin. We're not uh-huh. running around all over the place. We have good concentration in what we've acquired. We're in one jurisdiction, being Brazil. Even inside of Brazil, we're in one state, para-state which is now the most favorable state in the country to develop mining projects because it's got the lowest tax rate available. It's the poorest area of the country, so as a result, government's really motivated to support economic development. So you, you, you also consider that there's been some good rationale in, in what we've gone out there and acquired. We haven't just acquired everything. We've acquired things that we really felt we had a critical path ahead of us that we can de-risk the projects and create more value for our shareholders. Uh, and that's what you have. And these are all open pit projects with mm-hmm. similar type of grade, uh, with similar type of geology. So, again, you have
1: those synergies available, which would make it more practical for the company to advance these assets. Sure, absolutely. And the same skill sets and knowledge base and so forth. Let me ask you, on Nakasha, on when do you expect to uh, – do you have a target date for the preliminary economic assessment?
3: Um, we've commenced the work now. We're looking for uh, – uh, potentially the third quarter of this year to have uh, more information out on that.
1: Okay. To, to yeah, I guess it depends a lot on how soon you get your permits and a lot of other things. But okay. But you I just uh, mentioned a couple of other projects that you've got just in passing. I, we don't have much time left here, Amir. But uh, Boa Vista, uh, you've got an inferred resource there of 336 thousand ounces talk to us briefly just give us a brief overview of that one earlier stage well, yes you know, yes but at the same time you know
3: enough work has been done to establish uh, an initial resource which is again always you know your best your best indication of whether you should do more work you know, you start establishing resources and you know you've got a project uh, so again it's a situation where we have uh, uh, about um, you know 13,000 hectares um, there's uh, the initial work done shows uh, a near surface target with one point two gram per ton gold. Uh, it again gives us that optionality Jay I mean mm-hmm. not only do we want to pick up more advanced projects like uh, South George and Cachoeira, but we want solid exploration projects like Vista. we 've had offers already on this project for joint venture other mm-hmm. juniors that are looking for projects that have an initial resource sure. Become, it's become so much tougher to do grassroots exploration. Mm-hmm. So when you have projects like Vista where for us it might be our third or fourth priority project, but for other companies that are looking for a situation that is more qualified, uh, an initial resource exists, and some of that grassroots exploration risk has been taken out, it gives us optionality in the sense sure. that we can develop an asset like this in the future at a higher gold price and realize the upside ourselves, or. We may even be in a position to farm it out and through joint venture structures be able to benefit and see the upside while seeing another company do the work and spend the money. So I just love the fact that we now have uh, an extensive enough portfolio where we have projects like Vista or even our uh, Surabeam project that can be company makers to another junior that doesn't have an initial resource estimate, but for us it may not even be part of our initial priority market.
1: Absolutely. And and you mentioned the Surabeam. How do you pronounce it, Surabim project? Uh, Surabim, correct. Surabim, and and five hundred three thousand ounces there are a resource. Uh, uh, a exactly, under. So I mean
3: you know these these are these would be great uh, building blocks yeah. or or starting points for another company. You know, I mean you could yeah. you even consider our company when you picked up coverage of us. You know, we started out with no 43-101 Exactly.
1: It's, it's very exciting. As I look at this now, you you know, if you add all the ounces up, and I know we don't want to mislead our listeners, you can't really do that because they're different projects and they're different, uh, you know, resource calculations indicated and inferred, They're not the same. But nonetheless, we're looking at a company here with, if you add all the ounces up, something over 4 million ounces in, in various resources.
3: All within a span of two and a half years, starting from uh, a base of zero.
1: <laughs> yeah, and with the most advanced project having a preliminary economic assessment value four times what the current market cap is it's uh, it's pretty remarkable but amir those people that have been able to you know the the doug casey's the rick rules of this world that are able to go out and they have some money left over when times get tough i'm very excited about this market now what are your thoughts on the gold market do you think we're we're turning the corner here possibly
3: absolutely and you know i'm i'm absolutely biased here uh, jay and it's, it's going to sound really awkward because of course i believe in uh, higher gold prices because of an array of reasons that uh, is all too familiar to you and to your yeah. listeners. But geez, I wouldn't mind if things stayed uh, a little uh, quiet and distressed for a little bit longer because <laughs> I also think there's opportunities still yeah. remaining for yeah. me to maybe pick up a couple of other assets at uh, bargain basement prices. So I'm very conflicted here. You know, I'm, I'm really kind of uh, uh, really believe in the downturn as, 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 as the best time to grow and And I kind of think BRI maybe has uh, some some additional acquisition ideas that we want to see come to fruition. But, um, you know, we're building for the long term. And you've seen, you know, UEC for me has been a work in progress for eight years now. And BRI is, uh, you know, these are long term projects when you're management and have skin in the game and you, you know, you start these companies. But uh, I know for many people out there, we, they can't wait for the, the price to show up, uh, you know, soon enough. Well, I,
1: I understand and, and empathize with you very much because on a smaller scale, on a personal investment scale, as I look at companies that have rebounded 30% or so from the beginning of this year, uh, I'm saying, doggone it, I wish i had gotten more of this one or that one. But, you know, while it's going down, you're saying, no hurry, no hurry. But I think we. (laughs) We may be be about to turn the corner, and I want to thank you very much, Amir, for being with us. We're going to be talking next, coming up next, is going to be Ian McLeod of Gold Money, and he's going to tell us uh, why he thinks quantitative easing mess that the Fed has gotten us into may be about to trigger much, much higher gold prices, so don't go away. We'll be right back with Alistair McLeod. As the bull market in gold resumes, gold shares will explode to much higher levels, and those companies that are ramping up production will take off first. Metanor Resources, a symbol MTO in Canada and MEAOF in the U.S., is now in commercial production and producing over 4,500 ounces of gold per month from its bachelor mine in Quebec. With seven drills turning, I look for the company's gold resource to grow dramatically on both its bachelor and berry projects. I believe Metanor now offers major upside potential for savvy investors. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times Into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Alistair McLeod. Alistair writes frequently for gold money. His bio is posted on my my own page at Voice America, but suffice it to say he has a great background in the financial world, but more importantly, he views the world through the lens of Austrian economics, which means he understands how booms and busts in the economy are caused by fiat money as opposed uh, to the market's choice of money, which has always been gold and silver, at least whenever those metals were available for money. Today I want to talk to Alistair about an article he wrote a week or so ago uh, for gold money titled, Post-Lehman Era Coming to an End. Uh, And I'd like to ask him what that means for our gold and silver related investments. Welcome back, Alistair, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. That's my pleasure, Jay. Really always good to have you on the show. Your insights are always uh, very, very valuable to us. You pointed out in your article that uh, when, and I quote, when Lehman collapsed in 2008, the world stopped, end of quote. The Fed then got the world to start again, of course, albeit more slowly than before by printing endless amounts of money. Uh, One of the repercussions of that resulted from something that you've talked about before on the show called the Cantillon Effect, whereby the super rich and people of privilege benefit most from the new money created by fiat. And consistent with that Uh, has been data that's come over the last five years uh, since Lehman Brothers that shows the world's filthy rich have benefited greatly from quantitative easing. How much richer have the rich become as a result of uh, Bernanke's money printing crimes? And can you talk about what the rich did with the money that they received to get even richer?
5: Yeah, absolutely. It's not just Bernanke, by the way. Um, The the money printing has also occurred to a huge extent in places like China. Um, I think uh, with a few articles in the in the press recently, we've become more aware that the big, big bubble in bank lending has really been China, China. Digressing slightly, I think in 2008, uh, their banking system, total balance sheets were around about $10 trillion. Today it is $25 trillion. Mm. That is a massive, massive expansion. It's 150% on top of the 10 trillion original dollars. And uh, so it's a bubble. And you're absolutely right about the Cantillon effect. Um, The idea that the Keynesian economists have is that, um, you know, they should manage the economy so that there is a wealth transfer probably from the rich to the poor, Mm -hmm. whereas, in fact, it works the other way around. Um, The people who really benefit are predominantly people in financial services, but also a lot of businessmen benefit as well, but they benefit really from the sea of credit that's created to try and uh, support economic growth. And both the population and the assets of these high-net-worth individuals has increased hugely uh, since 2008, The figures I have are between 2008 and 2012, because understandably the figures for 2013 are not in yet and won't be be for some several months. But basically, over those those four years, the global wealth of these high net worth individuals, which excludes their uh, private residences is estimated to have grown by $13.5 trillion. Now, that's up to 2012. Now, given that the amount of all the QE in America and so on and so forth, QE3 started in January last year, for example, the acceleration of bank lending um, in in China as well means that that figure today is probably closer to $20 trillion. Wow. Um, That's a huge amount of... um, if you like, cash, assets, and so on, in the hands of one class of people. And this is a small minority of, of, of people in our society. So, um, you know, you can see that, I mean, also the other thing which I, I'd like to point out is that a lot of this growth has been in, in Asia um and you know places like china um thailand also india you know korea and so on uh this this is very very important because instead of it being uh european and american north american wealth which Mm -hmm. is very much tied up we've got an industry that deals with these people called the wealth management industry Mm -hmm. and these people are portfolio managers it, if you like, in a sense, it gets uh, the money under the control of these people, mm. uh, in, under under a sort of control that the system can deal with. When you're talking about ultra-rich in places like China, now a lot of that money may not be declared to the authorities. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, uh, one thing I'm absolutely certain of is that they don't rely on traditional, uh, what we would regard as uh, the, a wealth management industry, mm-hmm. to advise them what to do. Mm-hmm. So um, you know these these guys are um, you know, they've they've become rich very very quickly um, they've become mm-hmm. extremely rich in some cases. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess that what they do is not predictable in the way in which, um, let us say, a sort of um, a Warren Buffett or a Bill Gates, that sort of uh, run of the mill billionaire behaves. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they're they're, they're far more likely, I think, to sort of run out and do things which the which the Western establishment thinks might be slightly nuts, like they might go and buy gold to go and protect themselves against a currency collapse, Mm -hmm. for example. And it's this is why. I think understanding, um, you know, the shift in terms of the numbers and the amount of money that this category, this very, very small category of people, have, um, uh, or, of people, it's all, uh, you know, the, the real growth has been in these new emerging economies. Mm-hmm. And it's been very, very dramatic.
1: So, yeah, and it's,
5: it's unpredictable in a sense.
1: Yeah, indeed, it has been traumatic, and and we're certainly seeing a hollowing out of the middle class in America to an extent I think we haven't seen before. So the the wealth is sort of parasitically being transferred, I believe, through this cantillon effect to those that are closest to the feeding trough, and and uh, it's it's doing a great deal of harm, I think, uh, overall. But uh, but you make a very interesting point. But uh, Alistair, in your article, you seem to be convinced uh, that tapering is now going to take place well of course we 've seen a mild amount of tapering but how seriously do you take this and what are the reasons for for believing that the Fed is actually going to taper and and what would cause them to do that if in fact it, it results in more pain well I really don 't know the answer to that one Jay I mean we 've
5: had two announcements uh, knocking ten billion off each announcement mm-hmm. uh, so it's gone from eighty five down to sixty five um, uh, the, but the other bit of tapering, which I think we we must be aware of, is that the Chinese uh, government are trying to get to grips with this debt problem and the, the the expansion of bank credit in China. They're trying to slow that down, and that actually is a lot more serious in terms of economic impact, perhaps, than than uh, uh, the United States taper, tapering. And in a sense, I can understand why the Fed is reluctant to be the fall guy for all the emerging market currencies uh-huh. when the real, the real sort of gorilla in the room, as it were, is, is, is in this sense, is, is China. I mean, bank credit in China uh, in j- January, it was announced yesterday, increased by $139 billion equivalent. Hmm. and the economy is smaller than the United States go, uh, uh, economy. So you mm-hmm. can see that if you've got two – the, the two uh, largest economies in the world are trying to get the expansion of their money quantities under some sort of control, you can see that the effects the,
1: between the two could actually be quite, um, quite significant. Well, what would – I would really – like to understand what would cause for example the Chinese authorities to want to do this. I mean are they afraid of inflation? They they would know looking at their history that inflation is very dangerous for the status quo. Is Could that be a concern of theirs? Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean for
5: all the indications are that they fully um, appreciate the Difficulties, the monetary difficulties they now face, because it's not just the increase in bank lending, it's also the shadow banking system. And we have seen, for example, the coal mining industry, which financed itself through the shadow banking system. Uh, and for your um, your listeners who may not be aware of what, what's happened there, basically what, <laughs> they set up um, financing vehicles so that typically a coal mine could borrow, let's say, you know, $100 million equivalent um, to run its operations. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the price of coal has gone down very significantly. Mm-hmm. So these companies do not have the cash flow to pay back um, the investors. Mm. And um, the, the, we are talking about very significant sums of money. I mean, we're, we're talking about uh, hundreds of billions mm. of dollars equivalent. I mean, this is, this is very, very big. And that's just one area where uh, this is beginning to go sour, Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know this so the authorities in China do understand this problem. Um, I was interested what you what you were saying uh you know before we started this recording mm-hmm. about your your um, uh, connections in 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 China, but mm-hmm. um, I equally hear that the the guys on the ground are still partying as if you know the party 's still going, mm-hmm. but the government, I can tell you, is pretty serious in trying to find a way out of this. Uh, crucial difficulty of trying to reduce the growth of uh, credit in the economy without collapsing the whole thing around their ears Mm -hmm. it's a real
1: problem it's a Uh, real problem and i wonder to what extent uh, our federal reserve is serious about tapering as well i mean it seems to me there must be some recognition that we're also you know the more leverage that we keep piling on the more dangerous the whole system is the system systemic risk uh, I would argue, and I'm pretty sure you would agree with me, becomes greater and greater with each quantitative easing, right? Yes, no, I think that's that's that's
5: right. Um, so do you think the, they're
1: really fearful that, that the Janet Yellens of this world are really fearful that someday there's going to be a day of reckoning?
5: I think if you could get any anyone um, in the Fed to talk off the record, I think you would find that actually they are quite frightened. Hmm. Um, it It seems to me completely inconsistent with reality that these guys – managing the uh, monetary affairs of the United States uh, with no knowledge of the dangers that they face i think very much uh, the reverse i think what's been happening is they've been in a state of crisis management ever since the
1: uh, lehman uh, crisis occurred in 2008 try to understand the dynamics of what's been going on we've we've seen with uh, with the mere talk of qu- of tapering uh, some weeks back uh, markets started having some problems and more recently until Janet Yellen sort of uh, eased the, the concerns that she wasn't going to be too strict, and uh, everything is data-dependent, supposedly, in terms of uh, the tapering decisions. Uh, but we've seen some real problems in, in the developing countries, uh, the developing economies uh, is this because this easy money that was created was pumped in there and a lot of the really wealthy people started investing in these uh, in these third world or let's say developing countries uh, to try to get yield to try to get a bigger return is that what was going on uh,
5: yes i think i think that's probably the best way to sum it up i it really the money um i think particularly before the lehman crisis uh there were substantial uh portfolio flows into the emerging markets because that's where the action was um uh, we could see that there was really very little growth going on other than asset bubble type growth in the western economies the place to be really was um investing in manufacturing in china or uh, india or wherever it might be um now, I, I think that uh, that changed with the Lehman um, uh, crisis, but it is only more recently that uh, this acceleration is turning into a bit of a rout. And I mm-hmm. think that what we're now seeing is that there is a bit of um, uh, some of the money has already come out, but I think the money that is that, that was that was really spooked in the um, in the month of January, in particular. I think was that you know realizing that the whole of this game is coming to an end and actually we need safety now we've got to get out of these risky i mean you've got argentina you've got um turkey you've got india all these currencies start going down and as soon as that happens the risk is that they have to raise interest rates in order to stop the currency going down at a time when arguably um their economies have, have turned down anyway so uh, you can see that the concerns from the point of view of the portfolio market Money that's still in there they begin to think this is not the no longer the place to be so uh, th- there is a run if you like on those individual uh, second line currencies and the run basically is out of those
1: currencies back into the dollar and i think that's what we saw yeah so the dollar gets stronger um, uh, stronger but, but, relative to other currencies but um But, Alistair, so what happens then is if this hot money comes out of these countries, leaves the banking system in these various countries, I guess, right, and the banks are over-levered, and then you start to have solvency issues with the banks, and then what do you get, bail-ins? Well,
5: (laughs) this is is now the big, big concern, because um, at the G20 level, it has been agreed through the Bank of International Settlements and the... um, there's a sort of stability committee which um, advises them. I, th- the name of it has escaped me for the moment. Um, but it's, it's been agreed, really, at that level, that all the G20 nations uh, will put in procedures whereby bail-ins um, will deal with uh, uh, banking problems in the future. And that basically, uh, behind this, the state doesn't want to have to pick up the tabs for a, for a bust bank. Uh, it's got to be the depositors. And it's the depositors, more specifically, who have more than the insured minimum in those banks. And uh, the, the problem then is that if you're, um, uh, you know, one of these high net worth individuals and you've got uh, a couple of million bucks and deposit in... The Bank of Baroda, or whatever it might be, you begin to think: How safe is this? Yeah. Do I really want my assets in the bank in the banking system? And it goes even further than that. Let us say that you've got an unallocated account, um, uh, a gold account with a bullion bank. Mm-hmm. You might think: Hold on, these guys are not necessarily going to be able to. Um, Give me my bullion, or protect mm-hmm. my bullion position. Perhaps it might be safer if I actually store it myself, mm-hmm. in, in, you know, vault it myself. So, um, you, uh, the potential, I think, for, for for panic has been increased by the measures that have been put in place since the late,
1: late Lehman crisis. Mm-hmm. Well, we noticed, though, you know, with the Cyprus issue, the Cyprus situation. Uh, with the first uh, test of bail-ins, that, in fact, uh, it wasn't gold that benefited so much as it was Bitcoin. Um, Bitcoin took off and gold was suppressed. How do you account for that? Well,
5: there's a background story to this, uh concerning gold bitcoin I, I don't feel qualified to to um comment on but what happened with gold is that um a lot of the european holders of gold with unallocated accounts but in two banks in particular abn amro and rabo bank two dutch banks decided that they wanted to move their gold out of those banks those banks then turned around and said no uh we're not um delivering gold against our unallocated accounts but we will settle in cash mm. end of story. So mm-hmm. you can see that the run actually started and I am fairly certain in my own mind I can't prove it obviously, mm-hmm. but I'm fairly certain in my own mind that the smashdown in April last year was in the wake of the Cyprus bail in and the disruption that it caused into capital markets and particularly the bullion markets mm-hmm. in the wake
1: of that bail in. Mm-hmm. So, so, in other words, in the paper markets, there was a concerted effort, you think, possibly or probably, that to take the gold price down so people don't get the notion that they should go into gold and, and get out of paper money. Ex-
5: exactly. No. The, it, was, it, was, it was a classic case of um, telling everybody, all investors, if you like, um, or people who think like investors, this is not a bull market in gold. Forget no. it. No. You've got to sell. If you've got any, sell while you can. That was the message very, very clearly that was given to the investing community and of course what happened jay is you i'm sure you will remember is that coin sales took off Mm -hmm. Um, the 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 demand for bullion from the far east just absolutely rocketed on these lower prices which actually is what he could you know price theory tells you if you lower the price you sell more exactly (laughs) (laughs) but you see in, in the world in the crazy world of investment you chase trends if you, mm. you think the trend is going uh, you know the trend is going to go down, you sell, mm. and uh, I think the central bankers in the, in, in, in the West could only think that way you know yeah. it 's a bull market, so you 've got to take tell everybody you 've got to convince them it 's not a bull market anymore, yeah. yeah, but actually the real demand for bullion. Was then and is now from people who want protection against um, the collapse of their own currencies, and that's you know the people who who understand this a lot more than us in the
1: West are the Asians, and there's wow. four billion of them well exactly, and uh, with about a minute left alistair i 'd like to ask you we're seeing this huge amount of bullion that's being transferred from the west to the east to a- to China and other eastern countries, and we're seeing this sort of it seems to me. Almost a fraudulent commodity exchange in the West, in London, in the United States, where there's a hundred more than a hundred times as much paper money changing. Do you see the the evolution of commodity exchanges in Singapore, I believe, Russia, uh, Shanghai, elsewhere uh, in the West or in the East, uh, because people are starting to doubt the legitimacy of the of the futures markets in the United States to deliver the material, the the bullion um i don't think that's so much jay i think it's
5: actually got to do with the fact that there is just so much demand for gold mm-hmm. in the areas which you mentioned mm-hmm. that quite naturally um you know if you're in the if, if you're a in the financial services industry Mm. in Dubai or Bangkok or wherever it is, you think, hold on a minute, why don't we set up a gold exchange? And
1: I think it's that that's going on. So it's a profit incentive on the part of people in that part of the world. Exactly. It's a reflection, if you
5: like, of the enormous amount of business, the enormous demand for physical gold. Right. And and also the governments, um, I mean, we've seen this out of India, the governments really want to tap into this. They want to somehow alleviate the flow of gold, Mm -hmm. uh, but do it in such a way that you know look you don't buy the real stuff we can offer you a government guaranteed synthetic alternative this is what the indians have been saying yeah and and uh, so you can see going back to the exchanges you can see that uh, you know not only c- does it make sense to consider setting up a physical exchange but a futures exchange as well etc the government is going to promote these you know ETFs and so on so we can get in on the act and yeah. I think it's I think it 's that more than anything yeah but but I think I think there's another point about this um, which isn 't understood in the West um, and that is that uh, you know when you look at the figures that are produced by some of the agencies for example the China gold Association produced some figures uh, I think it was earlier last Last week, and they reckoned that China's what well, they called it gold consumption was 1,176 tonnes. I mean, it's complete rubbish. Mm-hmm. If you look at the, the uh, demand through the Shanghai Gold Exchange, which is actually delivered outside the uh, vaulting system, that alone is 2,197 tonnes last mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. And then you've got um, you've got imports that go in through Hong Kong. Now, not all that goes into China. Um, but it, so, if you look at what actually sticks in Hong Kong and goes into China from Hong Kong without going through the Shanghai Gold Exchange, mm-hmm. the total demand between those two centres is two thousand six hundred and sixty-eight tons last year, mm. and that is without that is without taking account nearly fifty tons
1: of coins. Oh, that's incredible. You know, well, at some point here, though, Alistair, they've they've conned uh, the, the policymakers have conned the West into running out of gold and. St- and into paper. Do you think there's a chance that we're going to see a reversal of that trade, and and you know people in the U.S. Uh, might start to want to buy gold again?
5: I'm sure they will. I mean, the the, the fact is that um, as investors, we're all conditioned to um, uh, follow trends. Yeah. The, the amount of gold ownership at the moment is very very small in in public hands. I mean, there are a few nuts like you and me, perhaps, <laughs> who might have a few gold coins, and if we're very rich, some bars stacked away in yeah. somewhere, but um, the, but really, the level of gold ownership in the West is extremely low. Now, as soon as the trend gets established uh, uh, in an upward direction, you'll find that interest will absolutely rocket. Right. Well, that's so, true. And I, I, I think that's that's it, yeah.
1: Well, I would I would love to talk to you a lot more about this topic and more, but we'll have to do it another time because we are out of time. I want to thank you again, Alistair, for being with us today uh, and uh, look forward to talking to you again sometime soon. That's very much my pleasure, Jay. Thank you. Oh. Well, folks, that's all the time we have for the first hour, but there is a second hour coming up, and you won't want to miss the next hour. You need to go to Taylor Media to listen to Dr. Quentin Henning, who thinks his company, Novo Gold, may be on to discovering the next Witwatersrand-type deposit. This time it would be in Australia, and he's made some remarkable progress in that direction. So go to JTaylorMedia.com to listen to Dr. Quentin Henning and what he has to say. You won't want to miss this. You can't afford to miss it. I'll see you there.